0: Uh, we are doing a series on the book of Daniel in the Bible's New Testament, and uh, sorry, the Bible's Old Testament. I'm all over the place here because I have a new stand. So I'm getting old, and I had to use a new stand so that I can see. And yes, for those of you who are friends of mine on Facebook, it is my birthday today. So I get Father's Day, I get the birthday, so happy birthday to me, so thank you. So we're in a series on the book of Daniel, that's one of the nice things, you get the microphone, you're the preacher, right? And um, I want to use the occasion in the book of Daniel to talk about men, and to talk about a subject that men don't like to talk about. But it is of great concern to them, and of great concern to their families, and that is the subject of men and anger. Men and anger. So this—that's why I played a funny video, because this is not necessarily going to be a sort of celebration, you know, NFL tailgate party service. I want to challenge you, men who are in the room. Whether you're a father or you're not doesn't really matter. And I think, just while I'm on the subject, I think there is something nice for you at the end of the service that might sweeten you up a bit. If you're you, you know you're really hit hard by this message, there's a little something that'll soften the blow at the end, all right? But you gotta make it through the message. Uh, but I want to talk about this very serious subject with you today. Because I find men like it practical, they like it straight, They like to be challenged. Women like that too, but I'm going to use the occasion to kind of put my crosshairs on men this morning and speak on the subject of men and anger. Yes, out of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, we have met King Nebuchadnezzar, haven't we, in the first few chapters? He's in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. We saw last week how God... Humiliates this man effectively, turns him into uh, sort of an animal, psychologically at least, breaks him down, humiliates him, uh, and in his own words, he's been humiliated by God. And you see this happen. Are we, uh, you're okay? There's a problem with the stream? You tell me if you need help, okay? Yeah, okay, you let me know. It, it, I want the people online to see it. Yeah, they're good. People online, thank you for being patient with us, all right? And just so you know, I'll, I'll use that as an occasion. Folks, people discover our church through the stream. There's not a lot of people who watch it live, but there's a lot of people who watch it after. And they're looking for a church. They Google us. They find us online. They start watching uh, our service and so on, and they come. So that's why I, I want you to tell me if there's any issues with it, okay? Ezra, and thank you for serving. Uh, so we've met Nebuchadnezzar, and what we've noticed about him is is I like to joke about him and say he has an itchy trigger finger, right? So in chapter one, you'll recall that the the official who was looking after Daniel and his friends was very concerned that they wanted to not eat the king's food, the royal food from the table. They refused this, didn't want this, and they felt that it defiled them. So, uh, the reaction of the official is, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, because when he sees you looking worse than the other young men your age, the king would then have my head because of you. Wow, that's, uh, that's quite an expression of anger from this king. And he seems to show this as a trend. This is the type of leader that he is. Chapter 2, we see the same thing. The king has a, a, a nightmare. He uh, is very bothered by this. This is the statue of the different elements there, starting with the head of bronze and the chest of silver and all of that. And he, he has this dream, and he wants the dream interpreted. But he, he raises the bar. And he says, "Okay, all you magicians and so on, you need to tell me what the dream is, and then you need to interpret it, so I know I'm dealing with the real thing here. And they say this is impossible. This cannot be done. The way that it works is, you tell us your dream, we interpret your dream. That's how the story goes. And the king says, not this time. The way it goes this time is, you're going to tell me my dream in advance. Oh, and by the way, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream is and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Wow. That's quite an expression of of anger in terms of his leadership. Uh, Verse 12, uh, they, they say, we can't do this. What you're asking for is impossible. Nobody's got the answer. This made the king so furious and so angry that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. He's going to slaughter them all because of his anger and his rage. It's the type of leader that he is. Chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as going by their Babylonian names, refuse to bow down to a 90-foot statue that the king has built. Is it of himself? Is it of some other god? We're not 100% sure. But the, 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 the way it works is the band plays, and when you hear the music, you all bow down and worship. That's how it goes. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, we will not bow down and worship because we don't worship your gods, and so we worship one god, the true god, and he's who we worship. And that's it. And so you have some kind of uh, tattletale astrologers who go to the king. And they say, Mr. King, uh, you've got some Hebrew exiles there. And uh, they're not going to bow down to your statue. And you see the reaction. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And, and he brings them to, to, brings them to himself, interrogates them. And they say, we will not. Bow down and worship the statue. Verse 19, he was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter. He gets the big, strong uh, men to try and throw them into the furnace. Even they die. It's so hot and so dangerous. That's verse 19. Then verse 29, after God delivers uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the fourth man in the fiery furnace appears and these they're protected uh, from the flames. Not even a hair on their head is singed. They're protected and so Nebuchadnezzar in character, he says, well, I'm so impressed with this God. I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. I mean, this guy is a leader who leads out of intense anger and rage. Everybody knows it. Everybody is intimidated by him. And he's a sad character study in leadership. And this is why God humiliates him. So using that as a springboard, I want to talk to you about anger. Is anger, as it's thought by some, to be a sin that we need to suppress? You know, there are some who believe that if you're a Christian, especially, then anger is a bad thing. You have to suppress anger. You have to push anger away. You have to somehow deal with it and not ever get angry. And the version of Jesus there is, it's the turn the other cheek, other cheek Jesus, the Jesus who he, he's got a uh, no emotion on his face. Uh, he's Anybody can do anything to him and he'll just take it and you know, he's that's if we're gonna be a Christian, that's the type of Christian that we should be because it's sin. Anger is sin in this view. Or is it an emotion that needs to be expressed correctly? Which of the two do you think it is? Do a little survey. How many of you you say it's a sin that needs to be suppressed? And I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm just asking the question. Oh boy. How many of you say it's an emotion that needs correct expression? Oh boy, and the men kind of raise their hands on that one too. Yeah, I think that's probably a more reasonable way of thinking about anger, isn't it? Because everybody gets angry. It's an emotion. Is it bad necessarily? Is it good necessarily? Well, it depends. But it seems to be an emotion and a very powerful emotion But it's expressed in various ways, isn't it? And this is where it gets uh, interesting for men to think about it. When men express anger and when women express anger, do you think it's the same all the time or do you think it's different? How many of you say it's exactly the same thing? When a man gets angry, when a woman gets angry, no difference. Oh, wow, I'm surprised. How many of you say there is a difference? Wow, that's really interesting, really surprising. The, the, the data on this is that there does seem to be a difference in the way that men express anger and the way women express anger. Now, what I said just now is going to become more and more and more controversial as the days go by. Because now, the culture is is of a view that there is absolutely no difference between males and females. I think that the data on anger would challenge that view. Because the way that we see anger expressed between the two sexes can be very, very different. And with men, in particular because of biology, And because of chemistry, it can lead to terrible results when men express anger. It can lead to destruction. It can lead to violence. It can lead to crime. It can lead to abuse. It can lead to destruction, destruction, destruction. And I have seen this inside of the church and outside of the church, Christian and non-Christian, And a lot of it has to do with chemistry because men have this thing that starts with a T. It's a chemical. It's called testosterone. I'm not making this up. You can look at it in the lab, okay? And men have a lot of it. It's a main hormone that distinguishes males from females. And testosterone, I call it a blessing and a curse at the same time. And some of you know what I mean by that. Because because of testosterone, males are capable physically of some pretty impressive things. And the, the brute strength is impressive. The size of the, of the skeleton is bigger. The uh, height, the muscle mass, um, the um, lung capacity, uh, uh, all of these things are greatly affected by that hormone, especially when a male goes through puberty. And you can't reverse that. You know, you, And we're getting into the sticky stuff here, but you can't avoid it, folks. It's all over the culture. It doesn't matter if you, if you try and change your gender. You have a male who has gone through puberty and you try and change that gender, and you try and put some uh, some uh, of the female hormone in there, estrogen, and you try to suppress the testosterone, you try to do all these things to make an attempt to change it, when that male, that biological male gets angry, you are still going to see the difference because they're... they're be- That hormone, that chemical is going to produce a reaction that's going to be very strong. It's going to be, uh, again, the, the, the ability and the capability due to that chemistry makes a difference. And it can be a great blessing, but it can also be a great curse. Because when men do not know how to control the reality that typically more brute force, typically more aggression, typically taller, larger, bigger, stronger, bigger lung capacity, all of these things. When men do not know how to control this and this type of aggression, then anger can become intensely destructive and abusive and violent and uh, culturally awful to humanity. So I want to talk to you men about this and help you understand that you have an awesome responsibility to deal with the issue of anger. And I would give you some homework today, men, uh, what I think is one of the best books that deals with anger in men by Dr. Archibald Hart who's a, a psychologist called Unmasking Male Depression. And he comes at this from a Christian worldview, and he argues that men, you may only get one thing from this message, and it may only be from this book, and that's fine. This book could probably transform your life if you have issues with anger, intense issues with anger. And uh, he argues that depression in men is also somewhat different than depression in women because of the chemistry. And by the way, uh, you need to know that depression is reported twice as much by women than it is by men. The incidence of depression, at least that's reported, is twice as much for women. And there are different views as to why this may or may not be. Some people say, well, men don't like to talk about it. Men like to suppress it, whatever. And women don't. Some people say that. Some people say, well, you have very different chemistry with women. They're dealing with with a, a set of hormones there that men are not dealing with. you got to deal with estrogen. you got to deal with a monthly thing that happens where the levels of the neurotransmitters and uh, dealing with the estrogen and the serotonin, everything gets out of whack every month. And then there's childbirth, and everything gets out of whack. And then there's menopause, and everything gets out of whack. And so women have a very particular set of circumstances that may, according to the views of some, make them more susceptible to depression than men. There's all kinds of views about this. But the incidence, the reporting, is twice as much for women. And he argues in this book that depression in males is expressed often by anger. By other things, yes, but in particular by anger. So I'm going to give you for free... And you can take pictures of it on the screen if you want, or just go out and get his book. I'm going to give you for free his little 20-question survey. on, And this is pertinent to men, because his view, and I think he's on to something, is that the way anger is expressed by males and females is different, yes? But also the way that depression is expressed is different. This is his argument. I think he's on to something. So this questionnaire is for men. Now, women who are with your men right now, you are gonna be very tempted to answer this, some of these questions for the man who you're next to. You're gonna be very tempted. You're gonna to wanna to do this, okay? Don't do that. Let him look at it, let him take pictures of it. Men, if you, if you don't have a phone and you want this, come and see me, I will send it to you. It could transform your life. So you answer zero to five. Zero is rarely, one is once every few months, Two is once a month, three is once every week or two. This is straight out of his book. Four, uh, uh, on and off every few days, the frequency of certain things that are happening in your life, or five nearly all the time. I'm going to go through it really, really quickly. I am bothered by things that never used to bother me. How often is that? Is that rarely? Is that on a scale of one to five? How often is that? My sleep is restless. I can get angry even when I don't show it. I have trouble keeping my mind on what I am doing. Again, these are questions specific, designed for men to see is this man dealing with depression? If he is, how severe is it? This is the questionnaire from Dr. Archibald Hart. Okay. I seem to be unhappy. Really? How often? I feel my life has been a failure. How often do you feel this way? All the time, once a month, how often? I need things to make me feel better. I am less social than I used to be. I get irritable very easily. I feel that everything I do takes a lot of effort. I become engrossed in my work. I just sit around and do nothing. I withdraw and find something exciting and thrilling to do. I feel that nothing really matters. I sulk, pout, or I'm moody to the point that I can't help it. Don't elbow him. I do not enjoy life. Don't get red-faced when I say this one. I need sex to cheer me up. I've counseled couples where I've seen that. Very difficult thing going on. I have trouble getting started in the morning. And the last two, I allow things to distract me from what I should be doing, and I have anger outbursts that I can't control. It's just 20 questions. So you do this little questionnaire. If, you're, if you add up all of the results, if you're a zero to 19, you're probably in the non-depressed range. And again, none of these surveys are, are foolproof. Like you, you, They just give you a gauge. But again, this is coming from a doctor who still has a practice today. 20 to 34, you should keep an eye on it. You should watch out for that. You could be entering the moderate depression zone. 35 to 49, he says you need to consider going and seeing a professional about that. You could be in the moderate depression zone. If you're 50 to 69, you you are dealing with it. You are dealing with it to the point where you need professional help. And if you're 70 plus, it's severe and you need right away to go and see somebody and deal with your issues. As you can tell, I am an advocate of getting help when people deal with these kinds of problems. Uh, And uh, I have seen people who uh, their lives are literally transformed when they admit that they have an issue that they have to deal with and they need outside help. And oftentimes pastors are not qualified in this area and you need somebody who is. I happen to have a small set of references of some good uh, people in this field who can help men or women. If you're dealing with these types of things, you can always come and see me confidentially and I'd be happy to refer you. So anyway, uh, this guy in this book believes, and I think he's onto something, That when men express anger, and when women express anger, it's very different. And unfortunately, when men express it in a bad way, it can be destructive. It can be awful for everyone. When you survey the scripture, forget about what everybody else says. When you survey the scripture and you look at this subject of anger, you seem to see two kinds of anger on on display. You have what is called sometimes man's anger, which is referred to as an unrighteous anger. James, a half brother of Jesus, uh, will will write about this. We'll get to what he says in a moment. And then you have what you can call God's anger. And this is sometimes called a righteous anger. Or a holy anger. And you seem to see two of these things on display in the scripture. Most of the, of the operation of anger by people in the scripture is not so good. It's very Nebuchadnezzar-like. You see anger expressed all over the pages of scripture by men. And you see it often in destructive ways. So uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, my brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be, and this verse could transform your life, especially if you respect the sequence of it, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What's the, what's the sequence? Quick to listen. Does it say quick to be angry? No, it says quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So what's the last thing on the list? Anger. What's the first thing on the list? Okay, men, married men or men in a serious relationship that could lead to marriage, you just transformed your life. If you do what that verse says... You will transform your life. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Be slow to become angry. That is a recipe for a healthy relationship, okay? Just giving you that for free because James wrote it, okay? Wonderful passage. Because man's anger, verse 20, does not produce the righteousness that God requires, Hmm. He seems to frown upon this man's anger thing. You see, example after example after example of this. The first one is Cain and Abel. Remember, God looked on Abel's offering with favor, and he did look did not look on Cain's offering with favor, and so uh, Cain became jealous. Cain became angry, and that anger was expressed through violence and through murder. The first recorded murder in the scripture is when this brother murders his other brother, wants to take away the joy of the fellowship that he has with God, wants to strip him of it because he couldn't have it. And so what does he do? He takes him out into the field and he murders his own brother in a jealous rage. Nebuchadnezzar, example, Anytime he doesn't get what he wants, people start dying. He is vicious. His expression of anger is, I I have no need to deal with anger or control my anger. I will simply execute people when they don't do what I want. Doesn't get what he wants, people start dying. Again, James says it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Anger is in there. It's implied that anger is in there. Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. Or in some translations, you want something, but you don't get it. So you covet, and you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel, and you fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. And then he petitions them that they should pray if they want something. But you see the fighting and the quarreling and the he says, so you kill. Why do you do that? Because there's something that you want that you cannot get. And you have these desires that rage within you, that battle within you. And then the anger is expressed this way. It's a bad kind of anger. It's man's anger. So we seem to see two of these, though, in the scripture, two kinds of anger, because when you survey the scripture closely, you will see that anger in and of itself is not necessarily sin, because God himself gets angry, and even Jesus himself gets visibly angry numerous times in the gospels. So Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writing to uh, the church in Ephesus, telling them to put on the new self because they have become Christ followers. They need to put off the old self, put on the new self. And he says this, put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Then he quotes from the Psalms, in your anger, Do not sin. He doesn't say your anger is sin. He says in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, you can get angry. Don't sin when you're angry and deal with your anger. Resolve your anger quickly. Very quickly. He uses the metaphor, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's another good piece of relationship advice for those of you who are in relationships. Deal with your anger quickly between you and that person. The quicker that you resolve it, the the, the healthier things can be. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And he says, do not give the devil a foothold, implication, unresolved anger can, in some shape or form, in some measure, even give the devil a foothold, a place of some sort in someone's heart. I heard one preacher say, don't let the devil have a rented room in your heart. He put it that way. I thought that was very well put. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus, more than once, expressed anger very clearly, and it's fascinating to observe how he did it. The cleansing of the temple incident seems to have happened twice. The one in John's gospel in John 2 seems to be a different incident than what the synoptics Mark 11 and Matthew and Luke uh, tell us. Some say there's only one incident, but I think that there may well be two. Regardless, the pattern is the same. And you see what Jesus does in John 2. It's almost the Jewish Passover. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem in accordance with the custom. He goes into the temple courts and he gets angry because he sees that there's people selling all kinds of uh, offerings in there and they're exchanging money. And if you knew anything about the culture, there's out-of-towners coming in there, and the money exchangers are ripping the out-of-towners off with the exchange rates, and all of this is being done in the temple courts where people are supposed to be free to worship. And so this makes Jesus angry. The word anger isn't used, but certainly we see the expression of it. He makes a whip out of cords, and he drives everybody out of the temple courts, He drives all the animals out. I mean, you can just see him running at the animals, get out, takes his whip, makes a whip of cords and he scatters the coins of the money changers and he flips their tables over. I mean, that is an expression of anger, folks. And to those who sold the dubs, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. He's angry. And his disciples, it says, they remembered. Well, it says in the scripture, Old testament zeal for your house will consume me boy he's he's sure zealous this jesus he's angry folks and look at how he expresses his anger fascinating does he tip the people over no he tips the tables over he tips the money over he there's an expression we use he upset the apple cart that's what he did he 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 ruined their day folks because he felt like this is wrong. And he got angry and he expressed that anger, but fascinating to see how he expressed it. Mark 11, you see the same thing. Jesus goes into the temple courts and he starts driving the people out who were buying and selling there, overturning the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves. He stops people from carrying merchandise into the temple courts and he teaches them And he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer. You are blocking people from worship. That's what you're doing. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. He's angry. But look how he shows his anger. Fascinating. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Jesus is in the synagogue, and there is a man there who has a hand that is shriveled, and it is on the Sabbath, and uh, Jesus is going to use this as another occasion to upset the apple cart because there are people looking to accuse him, and they want to see if he's going to heal the man on the Sabbath day. Notice there's no question as to whether or not Jesus can heal the man. The question is, will he heal the man on this particular day? Let's watch and see how he behaves. And Jesus knows this. And so he says to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Makes the guy stand right there in the synagogue service. And Jesus uses him as an object lesson and says, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? Whole crowd watching. To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? He poses the question. Man is standing there with a shriveled hand. Can't use his hand. Can't work. Can't do anything. Ironic. It's a Sabbath day. The man can't work. Jesus is going to do work to heal the man who can't work on the Sabbath day. So he, he looks around. They're silent. They don't answer him. And what happens? He looked around at them in anger. Mark says it clearly in anger jesus got angry deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and he said to the man stretch out your hand and in front of everybody the guy stretches his hand out and his hand instantly is completely restored and look at the reaction the pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians of all people, the two of them are enemies, plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. No wonder he was angry. Look at the reaction of the people. He just heals a man with a shriveled hand, and they want to kill him. What angers him? Their stubborn hearts. He sees, he knows their hearts, and he looks at them, and he's angry. Boy, oh boy, I wonder what the look in his face would have been. Can you imagine Jesus looking at people and being angry. And we see this from him. We see when he confronts the, the scribes and the teachers of the law in uh, Matthew 22:23, "Woe to you, blind guides, Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, you're a brood of vipers." I mean, he goes on and on in a rant where he is angry and is criticizing these people because they block others from God because they put rules on people that they cannot even keep and Jesus is angry with them. And this is recorded for us in the scripture. So it isn't sin in the case of Jesus. It is not. The Bible says he never sinned. Notice though how he expresses His anger. So I'm going to give you four little tips here as we finish up the message that are based on these texts and what we see in the scripture. Four little tips for you, men. Number one, lengthen your fuse. A lot of men have what we call a short fuse. That means the slightest thing can trigger their anger. They're like Nebuchadnezzar, itchy trigger finger. And if they were in in his position and they had the ability to just eliminate people who got them upset, they would do it. They have a very, very short fuse. Men, lengthen your fuse. You say, I can't. I know you can. It's amazing how men can go off to their place of work and they can be insulted, demeaned, condemned, made fun of, Uh, mistreated, abused at their place of work, and they will take it and take it and take it and take it and take it because it's their job. And then the moment that they step at home and enter the the house, their wife says one thing to them that's insignificant in comparison with what they endured all day long, or their children say one thing to them that's insignificant in comparison to what they endured all all day long, and they explode (laughs) they'll, They'll explode in the house in front of their wife and kid, but they won't explode in the job place, right? Because it's their job and they have to take it. That means you can choose to a degree to lengthen your fuse. Men, make it longer. It doesn't mean that you can't get angry, but let the fuse burn a little longer. It's an expression, you know, a fuse leads to a bomb. Lengthen your fuse. Let, let it burn a little bit longer. If you can take it at work, you can take it at home. You know, in the Jewish culture, they have a very, a very cool idea there. Some of you have seen it in hospitals or maybe you have Jewish friends. And you go to a, a Jewish person's house, and they have on the threshold of the entry of the house a little thing that's nailed to the door or to the frame. It's called a mezuzah. And many religious Jews, they will touch it before they enter the house. And it's a reminder to them. Say that, well, I'm, go- I'm going home now. The work is finished. The outside is finished. I come home. This is home. This is the home. This is the family. This is the priority. This is what God has called me to, and so on. And so they touch that, and it reminds them, now I'm coming home. So everything else stays out there, and now I'm home with family. This is priority, and this is important. The mezuzah, great, great concept. Lengthen your fuse. Number two. Transform your desires. Remember, James says, do they not come from the desires that rage within you? So change your desires. Deal with your desires. And through the work of the Spirit who now lives in you, you deal with those things. You should, if you're a Christ follower, start wanting things that you didn't used to want and start not wanting things that you used to want. There should be a transformation in your desires because you are a Christ follower. That's the work of the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Spirit in your life should start to do that. So work on that transformation of what you want on the inside, and you will deal with anger in a better way. Number three, affect change on idea or principle. Jesus, when he got angry... He did not tip the people over. He did not uh, attack the people. I mean, Jesus is standing later on before he faces the cross in front of Pontius Pilate, who is going to have the authority to, to get the execution done. He is standing in front of Pontius Pilate and he does not use his power to stop it. Jesus is being crucified by people. He has all the ability to stop it from happening instantaneously and he does not do it. He can call legions of angels. He has all of that power and all of that might and he does not use it because he wants to affect change on idea and on principle. Tips over the tables, casts the money changers out, criticizes the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Has the man with the shriveled hand stand up. Why? He wants to change the idea and the principle and the view with his anger. That's an effective use of anger, and an effective expression of anger is you want to change a view or a principle. Case in point, uh, abolition of the transcontinental slave trade, Uh, William Wilberforce. Uh, They're trading people for sugar and for uh, guns. Uh, People are, are... The slavery and the conditions of the slaves... You can't even mention, folks. Watch the movie, the most recent movie, Amazing Grace, the story of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce worked tirelessly in the British Parliament for years and years and years to abolish the transcontinental slave trade at the expense of his health, at the expense of everything. Why? Because he was angry. He was angry at the way people were being treated. This is wrong people are created in the image of god they should not be treated this way it made him angry did he go and and violently deal with all of the people in the in the the, the politics who were doing this transcontinental slave trade that even them themselves participate in it no did he deal with them that way no what did he do he used his anger to affect change On principle and an idea. And he, not single-handedly, but he was a leading figure in the abolition of the transcontinental slave trade. Very significant figure in Christian history. Why? Because he used his anger the right way. Number four, practice forgiveness as a method to resolve you from personal vengeance and bitterness. People often think of forgiveness in all kinds of strange ways and all kinds of, I mean, biblical forgiveness first and foremost, folks, you release your right for personal vengeance. That's what biblical forgiveness is. It means you will not take vengeance on that person even though you can. And that vengeance is driven by anger. If you deal with the anger By taking vengeance on somebody else that's going to lead to destruction maybe even your destruction if you deal with the anger by forgiving that person and it doesn't mean you condone it it doesn't mean you forget it it doesn't mean you're going to have dinner with the person it means you release your right to take personal vengeance on the person you set yourself free by forgiving that person and treating them like you would treat anybody else you, you are not seeking personal vengeance to choke that person. If you had them in your clutches and you were able to do it, you don't. You release your right to do it, and you may even be justified in doing it, but you don't. You let God do what God has to do. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. When you do this, you... you Release yourself from this personal vengeance, but also from this bitterness. Remember, Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. If you do and you keep that anger inside, it will turn into bitterness. It will turn into resentment. It will turn into hatred. And you you won't just have anger. You will be angry all the time. And that anger is like poison to the soul. That bitterness is like poison, and it will rot you from the inside out. This is why the scripture over and over and over again teaches forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Be quick to do it. After all, God forgave you when you were his enemy. Jesus went to the cross to die for you. Remember, he's on the cross. The nails are being driven into his body. And what does he say? Father forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. May God help us to have the same attitude as Jesus. When we have the opportunity to express anger the wrong way, may we use forgiveness to express it the right way. Would you stand with me, please? We're just going to close the service in prayer. Went a little bit longer today, but I hope that it's been beneficial for you, especially the men in the room. Remember, before you leave, I think we have something sweet for you outside because most of the men in this church are really sweet I, I don't see a whole lot of angry men in this church right No. Well, we have something for you and let me pray for you before we go Father for every, every uh, not only man and father in this room but for every person in this room uh, Lord uh, the, the, the message really pertains to all of us uh, so I pray Father that uh, in this culture so driven by rage, so driven by expressions of hatred, so driven by violence, so driven by anger. Oh, it's almost become a God. Lord, I pray that as followers of Jesus, we would model something different. Lord, we would uh, uh, take hold and take stock of our lives in this area and show ourselves, our families, and this culture and world around us, the the right way of expressing this powerful emotion. I pray for families in this room, people who are hurting, Lord, maybe in silence they're in this room and there's so much anger that is buried underneath the surface and hidden. I pray, Spirit of God, you would reveal, you would bring healing, you would bring redemption, you would bring health, into relationships, families, homes, the hearts and souls of people. We pray together today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. Don't leave too quickly. There's something out there for you. If you're a guest, come and see me on the side. I'd love to, to chat with you and take your guest card. Have a great, great Sunday. Great, great week, everybody.